You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this podcast series. And in today's conversation, we're going to examine the state of the U.S. inflation. Will this never end? Joining me today is Eric Lund, the Principal Economist here at the Conference Board. Eric, welcome. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, Eric, you do all the forecasting for the Conference Board for U.S. inflation, GDP, and so forth. What have been the latest in U.S. inflation readings? Well, we've had a, a bit of a bumpy start to 2023. Uh, January actually saw an unexpected increase uh, in the inflation rates. But last week, we just got in the February CPI numbers, and we saw a little bit of a reversal in that. Um, on the top line, uh, headline uh, inflation, we saw it decelerate a little bit uh, from uh, a 0.5% in January, month over month to 0.4%. Uh, but on the core uh, front, we saw a little bit of an acceleration, actually. Uh, core CPI rose to 0.5% month over month from uh, 0.4 the month before. One of the big takeaways, I think, from uh, the most recent print is that uh, shelter prices, housing prices, have continued to be one of the primary drivers that we're seeing in inflation right now. In addition to some of the uh, uh, inflation drivers associated with the services sector, Um so, you know, on, on the year-over-year uh, rates, which is what uh, the Fed targets, we're still well, well above the, the 2% uh, Fed target. Uh, and it's going to take us uh, quite a bit of time, I think, to get back down to something that's a little bit more acceptable to uh, to the folks at the Fed. Okay, so you use a lot of terms in there, and we do have some real experts listening in. But for those um, listeners who are, who are not expert at this, essentially, what I think what I hear you saying is that inflation has slowed a little bit. You talked about core, and core is without food and energy, right? Correct. Yeah. But non-core is a little higher than core, meaning that food and energy are a little bit of an outsized con- contributor to it, right? No, that that's right. You know, the, the Fed tries to strip out um, uh, food and energy prices because they're quite volatile. Um, so core is a way of, of, of looking at inflation without those two, those two components. But, uh, you know, the the rates that we saw really peaked uh, at the middle of last year or so. That was when ex- uh, inflation was at the hottest. We are seeing it cool down uh, and slow, but but as I mentioned, it, it remains you know well above where it should be. Yeah, and so but but it sounds like food and energy and housing are you know critical components, and not that everything else isn't also inflating, but those are some of the big drivers. Am I hearing you right? They have been, and it's it's varied over time. You know, one of the really interesting things about the inflation story that we've been grappling with uh, as a country over the last, you know, year and a half or so is that yeah, we've seen different drivers sort of push push inflation higher uh, over time. It's a, It's been really an, an evolving story. So, you know, right now, housing is, is a big part of it. Uh, some of the services, food and energy, maybe a little bit less so than they were at the beginning of the year, at, really last year. Um, but um, it, it's really been a, an evolving story. Yeah, but but because core is lower than than non-core, it suggests that food and energy, which is left out of core, is actually contributing 
you know, a great deal here. So let's just drill down on, on, on some of these. So what is your outlook for food prices, energy prices, and housing going forward over the next year? So on the, on the housing front, um, as I mentioned, you know, about 70% of the inflation that we saw in February was associated with housing. So it's really taken an outsized uh, uh, role in, in the most recent inflation data. The good news is that uh, we have been seeing rent prices, for instance, come down quite a bit, um, according to some of the private sector data uh, that tracks rents, places like Zillow and, 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 and other uh, specialty kind of businesses. Unfortunately, um, rents, you know, typically are, are, are locked into year long leases, right? So it takes time for new rent prices to be fully incorporated into all of the leases as they roll over on an annual basis. Um, so, you know, Powell has said that we are seeing a relief on the housing front. Uh, it's in the pipeline, uh, but it really hasn't sort of manifested itself in the inflation data quite yet. Uh, on food prices, uh, we continue to see a, a disruption sort of reverberating from uh, the war in Ukraine. That part of the world uh, uh, produces a, a lot of grain. Uh, also, we've had issues with the disease in the poultry uh, sector. That having been said, you know, the the rate of food price increases has cooled down a little bit, and we're hopeful that it continues to in the future. Uh, and then on energy prices, that's another really volatile story as well. Uh, we saw a, a big spike in energy prices associated with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Uh, Russia, of course, is a very large producer of a lot of uh, energy, and some of the sanctions that were put on it um, a limited sort of global supply. So we have seen that cool off as well. But given just the amount of volatility geopolitically in that part of the world, we really could see it moving in a number of directions moving forward, depending on, you know, what happens in that part of the world. Yeah. And, you know, we think of energy as typically, you know, gas prices and, you know, how much it costs to fill our tank. But energy, oil prices uh, in particular, really impact a huge swath of the economy because you've got energy and, and oil going into the development of fertilizers for food. You have it going into all plastics, which impact packaging for for food and other products, and, and then also everything that's manufactured with plastics. So energy energy is a broad term, but it, it really has some broad implications. And transportation prices as well. You know, if it costs more to move a, a good from point A to point B, then that's going to be factored into the, the final prices that consumers have to pay at the register when, when they go shopping. Yeah. So a little bit of collinearity with that. So what are the, so as you look at it now, you know, because, you know, this has been going on for well over a year, what are the key causes right now? In the, you've talked about the, some of the components, but do you see it mostly supply driven or demand driven or both? I mean, it's been supply driven and demand driven at, at various points over the last 18 months. Right now, uh, I still think that demand p plays a, 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 an outsized role. U.S. consumers are still spending despite uh, higher interest rates, uh, despite the higher prices that, that they've been seeing. Uh, there's still pent-up demand for a lot of services. So over the last year, U.S. consumers spent a lot more on goods than they typically did because they've been on lockdown or they're concerned about uh, getting COVID-19. And so they're really kind of playing catch up in terms of spending on services. At the same time, there is a supply component to that, 
because of the tightness that we're seeing in the U.S. labor market. We had a lot of baby boomers retire. We had a lot of people drop out of the workforce. Um, and in-person services sectors are having a really hard time uh, keeping people and, and hiring new people to sort of meet this elevated demand. And as a function of that, they're having to raise prices. So you're seeing um, you're seeing sort of a supply and demand uh, uh, sort of drivers uh, pushing up uh, prices for services. Roughly even balanced, do you think? It's hard to say. Um, I, I think that I really think that the labor market tightness that's that's being sort of uh, felt most acutely in in-person services is really uh, uh, problematic in terms of uh, uh, prices in that sector right now. And that would that would be supply driven. There were also the whole supply chain set of supply chain issues. You know, we shut down globally almost the the economies around the world due to COVID. Restarting those supply chains has proven to be really challenging and lumpy. So you still have a little bit of that still going on, don't you? You do. You do. I mean, a lot of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, it's not nearly as, as large of a, a factor as it was, say, a year ago, uh, but it, it hasn't completely sort of healed over. And then on the demand side, you know, the people were saying, well, demand was being driven, as you said, by goods for goods originally because we were all in lockdown. But you know, a lot of government payments and, and so forth. So there was a lot of money out there, but I think that's been sort of worked off, isn't it? So are consumers relying more on credit these days? They have been. You have, you know, you, the data have shown that uh, uh, revolving credit, so things like credit card balances and, and things like that have been going up. So consumers have been leading more on, on those kinds of ways of financing their purchases. But, you know, there's also been some work done, uh, including here at the conference board, uh, in, internally at least, uh, looking at how much of that uh, excess pandemic savings is still out there. Um, and while it has come down quite a bit, uh, consumers still have a bit of a war chest built up from, you know, the the uh, the kind of stimulus that they received uh, uh, in the in the 2022, 2021 period. Well, you know, so let's talk about the stimulus because, you know, government spending um, has just skyrocketed. We used to spend, the federal budget used to be around $4 trillion. Um, mm -hmm. The latest budget submitted was $6.9 trillion, but we spent, you know, well over $6, million, $6 trillion, um, when you add in all the stimulus during this period of time. What role does stimulus and government spending play in inflation? So, you know, I think in terms of mounting government debt, I don't think that is contributing to inflation, but it's what that debt financed that that has sort of been more of a contributing factor. So as as consumers and businesses uh, received uh, support from the government to shore up uh, their balance sheets or their household financing, it put them in a position where they could continue to spend and were willing to spend because they felt confident that they were going to be taken care of. Um, but at the same time, you've also had some really a, a large uh, um, uh, infrastructure investment uh, uh, packages passed over the last year or so that I don't think has yet played a really pronounced role in inflation. Uh, there is going to be a lot of spending that's done on building bridges and re re rebuilding airports and things like that, but it, it's spent out slowly. So I think that, you know, the, the drivers in terms of demand for commodities and workers to build these things is going to uh, really play out over a, a longer period of time, which actually may make it more difficult for the Fed to get down to 2% as there's that, that sort of lagged impact from from some of these big uh, big uh, investment programs that the government approved. 
When you talked about debt, uh, but you know, I, I probably ought to separate those two for 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 our listeners. There's there's the cash out, you know, the big government stimulus that that put the you know you mentioned it before, put all this money in consumers' pocketbooks as a as a in companies, you know, by the way, a lot of you know all the small business loans and so forth. So a lot of money went out into the into the um, marketplace. So you had that playing. Of course, they paid for it through debt. So they're kind of two different dynamics, right? And how should we think about the impact of both of those dynamics on inflation? Well, I mean, I think what, what the government did is they sort of borrowed against the future to finance uh, uh, spending now. Uh, so um, it's it's created the, a wave of inflation uh, associated with, with the programs that you just mentioned. Um, but looking forward, it, it could actually uh, be a drag in terms of the government's ability to spend in the future because a, a larger share of their their revenues are going to have to go into servicing that that debt. Right, and then as you cycle it, you know, you know, the year later, they don't you don't have the same level of spending out there. Um, you know, which is part of the the debate that's going on in Washington, of course. But that you know that that brings back to the point. You know, when we when this first when inflation first started, you know, popping here. You know, every the government started saying, "Well, it's it's all transitory. It's all transitory," meaning it's short term. It's going to be over really quick. But that hasn't been the case. Um, you've touched on a couple of points on why, but but just why does it continue to linger? Just just go through the whole series of reasons. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, as as we touched on earlier on, you know, the the, the drivers at first had a lot to do with disruptions in supply chains associated with the pandemic. Factories shutting down in China, uh, the U.S. not being able to get enough workers to provide, uh, uh, you know, things to to uh, consumers, uh, and then uh, as even as those those kinds of supply chain bottlenecks started to unwind themselves, we had additional shocks that weren't expected uh, come into play. Uh, the war in Ukraine was a very big one, uh, which sent energy prices uh, uh, higher, food prices higher. Um, and so that was sort of another wave of inflation uh, uh, that, that, that came to, that wasn't expected. Uh, and then uh, on top of all that, you've had uh, these labor market dynamics as well, uh, which has been pushing wages up higher, increasing costs for companies that have then passed those costs on to consumers. So I think, you know, when, when, when the pandemic, you know, initially uh, was unfolding, uh, the thinking was this, it, it would be transitory inflation because the supply chain bottlenecks would resolve themselves. Uh, but since that time, we've had a, a variety of other factors sort of spill out of it um, that have, have kept that, you know, those, those price increases uh, rising uh, very rapidly. Yeah. So you still have some of the supply chain issues. You then have some shortages. You have the increased demand. So all of the things you've talked about have extended this and probably will continue to extend it going forward and you know into next year yeah certainly the the labor market dynamics i think are a really important uh, factor to take into consideration because we don't uh, project to see uh, any real softness in the labor market uh, uh, anytime soon we're talking about what's going on with u.s inflation we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about what the fed will do and what the banking crisis impact will be we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back as you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy, the award-winning forecast team at the Conference Board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022. 
recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the conference board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession, located at conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Eric Blunt, the Principal Economist here at the Conference Board. And Eric, you know, we were talking before the break about, you know, all the government actions on this. You know, the Fed has been playing a bit of catch up here because, you know, initially thinking it was that inflation was transitory, they didn't take a real aggressive approach to it. And then when it became clear that it was a little stickier than that, they began to get more uh, aggressive. So what is our projection of further Fed actions? So uh, you're right, Steve, uh, the Fed was a little uh, late to the game. Um, that having been said, in 2022, they really ramped up interest rates really, really rapidly. Um, and so we've seen a, a, a 75 basis point hike sort of uh, meeting after meeting. It has slowed down uh, to 50, now to 25. Looking ahead, we're expecting uh, uh, later this week to get about a 25 basis point hike. Uh, and then we're expecting two more 25 basis point hikes uh, uh, in the uh, the second quarter of this year. Further afield, uh, we, we expect the Fed to pause uh, after that. Uh, so we're getting uh, the Fed funds right up to uh, uh, right around 5.25, 5.5%. Uh, we don't think we're going to see a cut until probably sometime in Q2 of 2024. So these rates are going to be with us for, for quite some time. And then uh, hopefully uh, as the inflation dynamics cool further, uh, we'll start to see those rates step down a little bit over the course of 2024. So so when do you see us hitting the Fed target of 2% inflation in the U.S.? That's going to be a, a longer term goal. Uh, it's not going to be something that's achieved quickly. Um, our projections right now is that we'll see year over year inflation rates hopefully uh, dip down to maybe about 3% uh, by the end of 2023. Uh, but we're really not expecting to see something close to the, the Fed's 2% target until the end of 2024. So we've got 18 to 20 months more of this to go. Now, what happens then if, you know, so so obviously the Fed's thinking, you know, there's there's got to be a, you know, a transition down to 2%. What happens if they're not seeing it? And, you know, are they, do you think they're willing to go higher with the discount rate, 6%, maybe even more? I think they could be. I mean, uh, uh, Powell has said as much that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get inflation under control. So, you know, the prospect of 6% is is feasible uh, if inflation doesn't come down or if it, you know, reverses because of additional shocks. No, you know, we, we haven't seen these kind of Fed discount rates for quite some time, have we? No, we haven't. It's been it's been a, a pretty long period of time. Yeah. And, you know, what back in the, uh, in the bad old days of the early 80s when, you know, we were really you know, fighting, you know, some really sticky, bad long-term inflation. I mean, these discount rates got, you know, what, high single digits, low, double digits? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, so it's not unprecedented is my point that, that they're willing to go as high as, as, you know, as high as necessary. Right. No, I mean, during the eighties, we saw extremely high uh, interest rates to, to try to get a handle on inflation. Um, and we're nowhere near that yet. Uh, but certainly we've demonstrated historically that, that we have been willing to, to make that kind of sacrifice. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's just say they do go beyond 5%. What are the ramifications elsewhere through the economy? How does that ripple through? So, I mean, our projections are that that we're going to pierce 5% uh, over the next couple of months, um, that the Fed, if it needs to, will go even higher. Um, but even given our, our, our forecast uh, of a Fed funds window of 525 to 5%, what we are forecasting is that the U.S. economy is going to slip into a recession. Uh, we're expecting to see negative GDP growth in Q2, Q3, and Q4 of this year. Fortunately, uh, we're not projecting at present uh, a deep uh, and prolonged uh, recession. So it's something on the milder side, uh, but certainly businesses and consumers uh, are going to eventually buckle under the weight of these higher interest rates, and it's going to uh, result in, in a recession in the U.S. Yeah, and those interest rates, well, it, you know, it's the Fed controls what's called the discount rate, which then translates into higher interest rates because banks can't borrow from the Fed window at the same level, so they charge more. So this hits really the entire economy. I mean, your credit card costs go up, you know, interest rates on, on consumer debt. You have mortgage rates go up. You've got business borrowing goes up. So it, it really raises the cost of all debt, doesn't it? It does. The cost of capital rises uh, and it hits everybody who borrows. Um, and it's already hit sort of the more interest, sensitive, interest rate sensitive uh, parts of the economy. Uh, you mentioned mortgage rates. Uh, those have gone up quite a bit from where they were even a year ago. Um, and as a function of that, you know, we've seen uh, cooling in terms of the housing market. Residential uh, uh, investment has, has already been contracting for a number of quarters now. We're expecting to see consumers uh, uh, spend less on vehicles, on interest on interest rate sensitive goods and services, and then on the business side of things. Of course, you know, as a, as the cost of borrowing increases, it makes businesses less likely to invest. So fewer uh, purchases of of capex, um, you know, factories or equipment, things like that, and that cools demand for the economy as well. Yeah, and this is. This is the point of the Fed taking these actions is to try to slow everything down a little bit, get back to sort of a normalized 2% rate. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the discussions with the Fed and you know, between the Fed and Congress has been about, well, uh, you know, how do you balance the pain? Where are you willing to take it? Is it is it so important that we get to 2% inflation that you would rather have, you know, a million or two more people unemployed? You know, these are tough kinds of decisions that they're making, right? They're very tough decisions. You know, and Powell has said that, you know, he is willing to make some sacrifices to achieve that. Uh, I think the view at the Fed is rightfully so that uh, uh, the current level of inflation is unacceptable. And if it uh, requires uh, uh, making some short-term sacrifices to get it under control, then, then the Fed is going to uh, be willing to do that. One of the things that people weren't thinking about it, and they certainly were talking about, is that the increase in interest rates impact on bank balance sheets, I guess all balance sheets, but bank balance sheets, because, you know, banks have been taking customers deposits and investing them in long-term safe uh, treasury securities, but they, they were, they're safe, but they, they do fluctuate in their value. If, if the current 
government debt is being issued at higher rates. That's more valuable because they're you know it pays out more. So those bonds that they bought then declined in value, which is causing then bank balance sheet issues. So these are all kind of wrapped into the unintended consequences, right? No, that that's absolutely right, Steve. I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, banks have seen their their assets depreciate in value as interest rates have have risen. You know, a lot of the banks are required to mark them to market, right? So uh, th- there's been a little bit of a misunderstanding, I think, in terms of how much they've been impacted. Um, but as consumers, uh, especially depositors, uh, have have seen uh, these issues play out, they've gotten concerned about some of the banks in terms of how well capitalized they are. And that was exactly what we saw in the case of the bank run that happened at Silicon Valley Bank. We saw a massive exodus uh, of deposits, uh, which ultimately pushed the bank under. Uh, so there's a whole new dimension to to sort of the the inflation interest rate slash now financial uh, uh, stability story that that's sort of developing. Yeah, and and bank capital is not the same as bank cash, and so I think you know what happened is people saw that they were trying to raise money to shore up the capital, and then they started doing withdrawals, which required cash, <laughs> you know, and then they they had to so these banks essentially marked the market by selling at the current valuations and taking these big losses in order to meet the cash needs. So you've got this this double whammy that's happening. So. Then the question, Eric, is what happens if you know you, the Fed does go up to? I mean, we're not even to five percent. What if we goes up to six or or beyond? Does it create even more stress on banks? It does. You know, as interest rates go higher, the value of uh, the assets that the bank already hold in terms of uh, debt, you know, becomes further eroded, uh, which can create even more alarm uh, among uh, the public in terms of uh, the stability of the banks. Um, so you could see even more sort of flight of deposits from smaller and medium-sized banks to to really large ones that they feel more confident about. Right. So all of these things have to be playing into the thought process here of the Fed, right? So, I mean, the Fed has a couple of mandates. Uh, uh, maximizing employment is one. Uh, uh, creating sort of a, a sustainable inflation environment of around 2% is another. A third is uh, uh, ensuring financial stability. Um, so... You know, unfortunately, uh, uh, it, it appears that the financial stability concerns are arising, which puts pressure on the Fed in terms of its ability to further raise interest rates to quell inflation. So it, it, all these different mandates are sort of getting mixed up right now, and it's put them in a bit of a pickle uh, in terms of uh, how, how to proceed. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, you said earlier that they didn't move fast enough. I'm sure with, you know, now with, you know, perfect hindsight, they probably are saying, gosh, we should have we should have moved faster earlier. But you can't change history, so therefore they can only go forward here and and try to deal with a you know a very what you as you described a very tough situation. So you know we're not criticizing, you know the Fed or, or anybody. It's just it, it just is what it is at this point. Now you know they they are dealing with two levers here, um, Eric, which is interesting because historically they've only used the discount rate as their their sole lever. But you also have what's called quantitative tightening. We're working off their uh, balance sheet here, which is the reverse of quantitative easing that they've that they had during, you know, these crises. Talk about the impact of that. So we saw a huge uh, increase in the size of the Fed's balance sheet over the last uh, couple of years as the Fed uh, engaged in quantitative easing. Uh, it swelled to about nine trillion dollars, but starting at the beginning of last year, they began to lower. Uh, uh, or reduce uh, that, that is to say, the, the size of their balance sheet by letting some of those um, uh, treasuries and mortgage-backed securities sort of 
gradually fall off of their balance sheet over time. The plan that they implemented last May uh, hasn't been changed. It continues to play out on a month-over-month basis. Um, and uh, the net effect of that is, uh, according to some of the, the reports uh, that, that we're watching, um, accounts for about a, an additional 25 basis point um, hike in terms of uh, interest rates. So it does have a factor in terms of uh, 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 continuing to slow the economy and, and raise interest rates. So just just to wrap up, you know, maybe you could just tick off some of the effects of inflation throughout the economy. Well, there's there's a, a wide uh, a variety of effects. Uh, on the one hand, uh, you see this sort of uh, uh, act as a sort of uh, regressive taxes. Uh, prices are rising across the board, but it's impacting uh, lower-income households, I think, more than upper-income uh, households. Uh, lower-income households, of course, have fewer sort of financial resources to lean against uh, as prices for food and for for gasoline uh, uh, go up. Uh, and so it's it's hitting them uh, harder than than uh, people in, in uh, those, those upper-income brackets. Also, uh, the higher cost of capital, which we've already mentioned, businesses... Uh, uh, are having to pay more to borrow. Consumers are having to pay more to borrow. Uh, so we're, we're seeing uh, uh, that play out. Uh, the bond prices that we already talked about uh, in terms of uh, uh, those being hit uh, by the higher interest rates, that's having uh, reverberations uh, in the um, uh, in the banking sector, uh, as we've already seen. And uh, uh, really, uh, even stock prices are, are taking a hit now as as uh, uh, investors are able to put their their money in, in higher interest rate uh, uh, kinds of investments, it pulls money out of stock markets uh, and hits uh, and hits their prices. Yeah, it's just it, it really is uh, is very impactful and, and and it hurts all the way across. Well, your crystal ball says that uh, by the end of twenty four, we should be somewhat back to normal, and hopefully, not uh, not too many things will break in the meantime. And I you know I guess that's a you know that's the best we can do is, is hope on this because there's no two situations that are alike and we haven't seen exactly this one before. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Steve. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEO Perspectives. Every week I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover the leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, ESG, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues. I know they're gonna to wanna to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.